Hey everyone, welcome or welcome back to the Quaybog Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel or check us out on Facebook. That way you'll have access to fresh content every week. But most importantly, we hope the following message inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey because our mission here at Quaybog is to help you worship, connect, and serve. Enjoy! So, like Brittany said, uh, we're going to start off on a positive note this morning and just point out the fact that there's a lot of lonely, depressed people out there. <laughs> people are like, wait a minute, what did you say? <laughs> it's hard to believe. I don't know. I don't believe it. Uh, yeah, there are, you know, and there there are a lot of people who uh, really feel alone and isolated. Um, and Christians are not exempt from that feeling, you know, like if and people that go to church are not exempt from that feeling, feeling religious people aren't exempt from that feeling. I talked to just people across all ages and demographics of just where they are. And, uh, you know, like a wife can feel alone because her husband is detached, right? And maybe she's like on this, like a faith journey by herself. Or a husband can feel detached from his family because he feels like, you know, God's doing something in his life that, you know, my, my wife and my kids, they don't, they don't support, you know? So it's like spiritually people can feel isolated even because of Jesus, like in their own home. And then there's people that are like really connected through work and through digital spaces and all this kind of stuff. And I talk to them though. And they feel like they're walking around all alone, right? Like I'm like engaged in all these different things. And yet I feel like I'm just alone. Like I'm just walking around bumping into other people who are also all alone. And then social media gives us that illusion of being connected, right? Like study after study after study, social sciences are like, they're, they're just like ringing the alarm. And it's just like, hey, we are feeling connected because it's like our brains are like, yeah, I've got friends. Like I do stuff online, like I work and I've got all these things. And it's like our brains kind of shut off and say, yes, I'm connected. But then our soul is wanting more, like way more, right? And we just kind of keep driving this loneliness. And that's like, that's really the deceitful evil of things like pornography, especially. It offers us something that we're made for, that we desire, the connection and everything. And we're getting in a way that is not at all fulfilling. And it's like, and it's eating people alive. And so these, there's so many things that are, we're driving after to find meaning and connection and value, and they're just not providing. And so when I, again, when I bump into people, I talk to people, it's just like, man, we, there's so many people that are feeling alone. And then that drives that feeling of hopelessness. And it's just like, I've got all the parts in place. I feel like I should be doing better. And I just feel like I'm spinning my wheels here. Christian and non-Christian, you know, it's not just like people in the church. It's just like when I try to get to people, know people's stories. And so where does Jesus fit into that? You know, as we do this gospel of John study and we, we look at meeting Jesus, it's like, where does Jesus fit into that? And I really want you to consider that because it's easy to just sit back and listen to a message and nod your head and be like, yeah, yeah, that's all. That's good. But where the rubber meets the road is when you say, okay, in those moments where I'm going to find myself inevitably when I feel alone, when I feel like I don't know who to go to, I don't know who to talk to. Like, if you say that you follow Jesus Christ, like, how does that land in your life? that you are not alone. We just got done singing that song. I am not alone. I am not alone. Like to know that God is with you. Where does that stand in your life? Like that's really what I'd love to think about today because in the gospel of John, you see people, like, you know, we try to be really intentional about this, the title, the picture, everything, because each week we wanted to drive home the idea that Jesus was constantly meeting people on the roads of life, right? Constantly meeting people just kind of where they were, just in the journey. And 
can we still do that today? And I want to argue yes. And I hope today can be a little refreshing. I hope today can, can really inspire a little hope in us that do know Jesus. And maybe if we have people in our lives, because you all should be, if you're a follower of Christ, you should be following Jesus in a way that points other people to that hope, right? You should live in such a way that people are like, man, there's something about that person. And there's something about that community of Christians. Like, man, man, I don't agree with everything they believe, but man, there is something about those people and the way they live their lives. There's just a light or there just seems to be hope. Like that, that should be what we're marked by. And meeting Jesus today can really, really do that when we lean into that. And so the Gospel of John so far uh, has been a topical study of John, right? Because there's a lot in John. I could spend a whole year preaching on John. But what I wanted to do was hopefully give you enough of the details and the important stuff, the major themes along the way, because we've been in this now for a couple months, to help you understand how these things fit together, what John's purpose was, who Jesus Christ actually is. Because again, here's the, on my warning that I, that I hear loud and clear out of the gospel is John, is meet Jesus as he actually is, not as you've made him up to be. That's really, really important. Meet Jesus as he actually is, as he revealed himself, not as we want him to be. Because there's like the two ends of the spectrum, right? Like Jesus is cool with my sin. He doesn't care about anything. He's just this like, just total hippie dude and just whatever, man. Just come to Jesus and it's all good. And then there's the other end that you're like, no, I was raised to think like Jesus is just waiting for me to screw up so he can destroy me, right? Like there's, there's that end of the spectrum. And for a lot of my life, I was on the spectrum of like, God's just waiting for me to like make a mistake so he can crush me. You know, like, because that was what my life did to me. And so I just assume, well, that, that, that's how God is, right? I just transferred that to him. But Jesus is not either of those extremes. So my hope is that by giving you the details that we've given in the Gospel of John, that you'll go and read John yourself, that you'll go and meet Jesus. Don't just listen to what I'm saying or like, or try to pay attention to about 60% of what I'm saying. I get it, right? I'm not that interesting. I tried to be, but I know. Right. I know it's like, hey, did I leave the fridge open at home? I know there's all this kind of stuff. Is my kid being the terrorist that I hear screaming downstairs in the children's zone? You know, it's like I get there's things that like that just press in on our minds. All of that. I understand that. But my hope is that this series will give you just enough to go back. I want to meet Jesus myself. I want to go and read the Gospel of John and see what's going on in there. All right. So that's kind of the journey that we've been on. That's what we've been doing together. Um, And we're going to continue that uh, today. We're going to continue looking at the the next part of the story so what we've done so far intro jesus as according to jesus uh, and you know what john got from him we met the disciples we did the i am statements where jesus is specifically claiming the old testament name of god i am and then we looked at the signs the seven signs that john offers as evidence that jesus is in fact god then we we did all that and then we met some people right that jesus radically transformed And then now today, we're going to get into the book of glory, it's called. So that's chapters 13 through 20 in uh, the Gospel of John. And that's where we're going to be. And in this section here, we have a lot that goes down. Um, We're going to see uh, Jesus doing the the greatest act of shameless servitude in chapter 13. And he is going to then do a ton of teaching in this section. And he's also going to do uh, the miracle of the death, burial, and resurrection. So that is what's going on in this really important section. I could take probably six months to preach through this, and I'm going to do it today in about 20 minutes, give or, say, give or take a few minutes, because I'm not going to go line by line. I just want to give you an idea of what the big picture is of this really, really important passage of Scripture, right? Like what's going on? What's the, uh, the context for these things? 
and to set this scene up. Because in order to really appreciate chapter 13, you have to look at least, at least briefly, you've got to look at chapter 12. So imagine this, a city has been completely turned upside down because here comes Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the answer to the Roman problem. Like, here's this guy. We read it every Palm Sunday. He's coming riding in on a donkey. He's like, you know, this is the fulfillment, man, of the Old Testament prophet. Here is our king. This guy's finally showed up. I'm going to take my cloak off. I'm going to throw it on the ground. I'm going to climb up trees and be tearing out palm branches. Imagine how chaotic that was, right? People are throwing this stuff down, and Jesus is riding in, and his disciples are riding this wave in with him. You know, like, if I was them, I'd be like, yeah, what's up? Hey, how's it going? Yeah, I'm with Jesus. It's cool. It's cool. Yeah, I'm one of the disciples. Yeah. And then later I'd be denying him. But at that moment, man, I would be on top of the world, right? Because his disciples went from like, yeah, we're with the king to, no, the king, no, I don't know him. No, I've never met him before, right? No. But that's like, that's human nature, isn't it? To go from riding that wave to like just moments later, it would seem, they're all denying Jesus and running away from him. Because here's the deal of chapter 12. Everybody, his disciples included, absolutely misunderstood what was happening. Everybody did. Because the very same people that would be yelling, Hosanna, save us, we pray. Right, that's what that means. Save us, we pray. Same people. Same people would days later be yelling, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. It's odd, right? Because they misunderstood the mission of Jesus. So it's on that wave that we're going to get into the book of glory. And it's why Peter does not understand at all what is happening and what Jesus Christ is doing. So Jesus has to be like super blunt with his guys because he's setting this up, hitting these major themes because, and here's, here's the thing, Jesus Christ knows his guys are about to face isolation, anxiety, certainly depression because of what they're seeing happen around them, things that he's faced himself. He is preparing his guys to, to understand that they, to live effectively in the world, they've got to be strong in the face of all these really, really hard things, really hard emotions to fight as a human being. And so he's prepping his guys for this. And this is why I think it's so helpful for us today, just given where we are, right? Given where we are as a society, it's like Jesus' words are still really powerful for us, right? The peace that he offers, the different way of living that he offers, very, very countercultural. And so that's what we're stepping into. But I just wanted to make sure we understood it's right on the wave of these guys being able to come into town with him um, as the reigning king. And so as we... Look at what is going to be in John 13, 14, 15, and 16 today. We're not going to hit the rest of it today. But as we look at that, I wanted to give us a reminder of like who we are as a church. So if you don't know, if you're new, if you're visiting, if you've not been around maybe for a long time, at Quaybog Church, we've really tried to model our ministry and how we think about doing ministry, influence, and leadership, like for real, based on Jesus Christ. Not giving lip service to that, but for real, trying to base what we do off of Jesus Christ's model of servant leadership. So what that looks like here at Quaybog Church is this is like, this is the, the model for us. This is like the whole kit and caboodle here. So what is our vision? Our vision at Quaybog Church, our better tomorrow, is that we will be an authentic home for the hope of Jesus Christ. And we want to do that through exceptional, spirit-led worship, connection, and service, right? We put it all over the place here in this church because we want to help our people understand who we are and the direction that we're headed. And that doesn't just end for us, worship connection and connection and service isn't just for us. That's also for our surrounding communities because we're meant to be a light to the communities where we live. So that's our better tomorrow is that we're embodying worship, connection, and service in everything that we do. And then our mission is to love God, love people, and help them start and grow a relationship with Jesus Christ. 
Like that's the day-to-day. How do we get to the vision? How do we get to the better tomorrow? It's through just day-to-day loving God, loving people, and helping them start and grow a relationship with Jesus. It's why we light candles. It's why we do baptism. It's why we do discipleship here at our church. It's why we preach the gospel because we want to help people move forward in their relationship. And all that, like what do we value? How is that ultimately seen and lived out? Well, we value things like evangelism and discipleship. We value things like humility and authenticity. We value things like being generous with our time, our talents, and our money. We value things like pouring into other people, right? Just spending time yourself with scripture and in prayer and being a part of your community as a light. Like those are the things that we value. And we put them all in this inverted pyramid because this is the model I believe Jesus gave us. And I, as your pastor, see myself at the very, very bottom. I do not see myself at the top of the ladder. And I don't want people to say, hey, congratulations, you know, on moving up. No, I haven't moved up. I've moved down. I've moved down according to Jesus. He says, if you're going to lead in my church, if you want to be great in my church, you're going to be last. You're going to be the bottom and you're going to be a servant of all. And so I see myself, I see leaders here as people that are investing in other people that are further up the ladder. In my journey, I've always had people in my life that were further down the pyramid and they invested in me as a young follower of Jesus Christ so that I could learn what it looked like to invest in other people as I grew in my faith. And I invest in those people, right? And that, how I do that, one of the big ways, yeah, is being here on Sunday morning and getting to share what I learn in scripture. It's one of my most favorite things to do in the whole wide world is to be able to study scripture and share all these cool things that I learned with you guys, right? But there's nothing special about me. I'm not at the top of anything. As a leader, God said, you're at the bottom. And so as a follower of Jesus, this can be a model for you as well. In your workplace, do you serve other people? Do you serve your family? Or are you sitting at the top of a ladder waiting for everyone else to serve you? Right? This is how we live our lives and how we see ourselves as Christians. And it's the model we want to use here at Quayball Church. And it's what we expect of the followers here at Quayball Church. Cool? That's just who we are, right? That's who we are. It's not a prideful thing. It's a very, very humble thing. That's hard to live out sometimes, but we want to do our best. So I wanted to say that first to connect what we're talking about to how we live as a church, how we see ourselves as a church. So in Matthew chapter 20, to take a quick step out of John, Jesus is going to say this to his guys in light of them doing a very, very worldly and understandable thing. So here's his guys, right? They are in a position of saying with Jesus, hey, so since you're the king, what do you think, James and John said, what do you think about us sitting at the right hand and left hand of you when you reign in heaven? Like, that's a, that's a gutsy request. Like, hey, so since you're king of everything, what do you think about us being right there with you? Right? That's the question they come. And he's like, all right, guys, wow, we're in Matthew chapter 20. You guys still are not understanding what I'm saying, like what it means to be a follower of mine. So I share this because this is Jesus really clearly saying what he expects of the people sitting in this room as well. If you're a follower of Jesus, And if you're curious, this is what we should be, right? This is who we should be. If you're watching Matthew chapter 20 and everything we're about to say here in chapter 13 of John as well. But look at this passage right here. So Jesus calls his disciples over and he says, so you know the rulers, and think about this in our own world. Think about this in our own country. The rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them. And those in high positions act as tyrants over them. It must not be like that among you. It must not be like that, Quaybog Church, among us. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. Pretty strong words. Jesus, as the Son of Man, did not come to be served. Our Savior, our Lord, our God himself did not even come to do those things, because ultimately the purpose, it says, 
He's going to give his life as a ransom for many. So again, that's why we use this model. And I want to push you to think about in your own life. Are you like that with your spouse? Are you just looking for ways to bless your spouse? Are you looking for ways to help your kids out? If you got a parent, are you looking for ways to bless them? How, about you, how many of you guys, don't raise your hands, how many of you guys have an ungrateful person in your life, whether it's a coworker or a boss, or maybe you feel like your spouse is? You know, what's the antidote for that? Well, you could just let that toxicity just rot your insides out, or you could just start being like, you know what? Like, there's only so much I can do. There's only so many battles I can fight and win. At the end of the day, I'm just going to be a servant. I'm going to look for ways to bless these people. I'm going to pray for them because it's really hard. Listen to this. It's really hard to hate people you pray for. Start praying for somebody that you hate every single day and watch what God does. And you're going to be like, oh, God's going to change him. And then all of a sudden your heart starts to melt. And you're like, oh, I had the walls up. My bad. Right? I had the misunderstanding. Whoops. Right? And then maybe God will do something in their life as well. But just saying, I'm going to pray for that person. I'm going to look for ways to bless them. Because that's what scripture would say. That's what God would want. And these are really, really hard things to do. Like super, super hard things to do. Right? Because I don't know about you, but there are some annoying people in my life. And it's hard to love them. And I don't always do it right. Personal confession. I've dropped the ball in ways that I had to apologize for even recently because I've just not done things right. I've not been the light I'm supposed to be. Right? So Jesus is going to make this here really concrete for his guys. Because in verse 28, he said he's going to give his life as a ransom for many. That's the purpose of what he's doing. So in John 13, he's going to sear something into his men's minds. And he's going to sear something into the minds of people throughout history. For 2,000 years, this thing that he does in John 13 is going to be a very, very concrete example of what this looks like in our lives. So think about in your life what this looks like, right? That's what I want to challenge you with. But to transition then into John 13. So when you think of the Last Supper, picture the Last Supper going down in your mind. What does that look like? Where are they? For a lot of people, unfortunately, it's this first picture here. Like I know a lot of people, they think of Da Vinci's Last Supper. The problem with this, and the thing that kind of frustrates me is, like, I know a lot of Christians who have tried to dissect this picture, like, what are the people? Who do they mean? Like, why does John look like Mary? And why is he, like, falling over and so pale? And, like, oh, look at the knife. And it's like, who cares about any of that? This is completely historically inaccurate, culturally inaccurate. It does not matter, right? Because this is not how they would have done it. It wasn't like Jesus went into the restaurant here and was like, I'll take a table for 26. And then the waiter was like, I got 13. Yeah, we're all just going to be on the one side. It's cool. We're just going to do that together, you know. But we need, you know, the bigger table because, you know, the TV cameras are going to kind of be on us. So, no, it's not like that. And what it would have looked like, because I want you to be able to picture this as we see this scene in your head, is this next picture here, right? So, culturally speaking, they would have been on their left elbow, and you would have eaten with your right hand, right? So, to me, this is like wildly uncomfortable. You ever try to like watch TV for too long and then everything goes numb and then you try to stand up and you're like, oh my gosh, you know, it's like, I can't imagine eating like that. But it's why when Mary would come in and dump perfume all over his feet, she could do that easily because his feet were hanging out at the edge away from the table, right? So she's able to come up and she's able to do that and the whole hair and the tears and all that stuff. She's able to do that because his feet were hanging away from the table. This is how they ate. And there's variations on this historically, like there might have been more than one big table and like, and all these different things. But primarily, as you can see, the guys are in the front, left elbow, eating with the right hand. So when Jesus starts going around and washing feet, probably, he's able just to go around the edge of the table. He didn't have to like get them all up 
You didn't have to climb under the table, right? When Mary did that thing with the perfume in her hair, it wasn't like she was like banging her head into the table trying to do that, right? It's just like going around the edge. So I just wanted to give us, I think, I don't know about you, but I'm just kind of visual sometimes when I read scripture and just to kind of think how that would have been, okay? So let's jump into John 13 then and look at this uh, outrageous thing. Again, on the heels of chapter 12, this triumphal entrance and like all this greatness that Jesus brings with him and the misunderstanding. So the model Jesus expects us to use here. Before the Passover festival, and of course Jesus is going to be the Passover lamb by the end of this week, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own, right, his disciples who were in the world, he loved them to the end, his steadfastness. Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands. That's a huge statement to make, that everything had been given into his hands, that he had come from God, and that he was going back to God. So his mission, his purpose, his power, right, everything, the position of Jesus, everything was given, in verse 3, everything was given into his hands. And it's this statement that's very similar to John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18, that makes this next verse, verse 4, completely ridiculous, like completely crazy for his disciples. Like, right, we just rode in on this wave of awesomeness with you, Jesus. And now, verse 4, so he got up from supper. He laid aside his outer clothing, took a towel, and tied it around himself, just like a slave would have done. Next, he poured water into a basin, and he began to wash his disciples' feet and to dry them with a towel he had tied around him. He came to Simon Peter, who by now is completely confused, because think about how awkward this would have been, right? Was there a lot of talking? I doubt it. As Jesus moved methodically and slowly from foot to foot to foot around this table and did this for his guys, and he gets to Peter, and the, like, by now the tension is too much in Peter. And if you know Peter at all, he can't not say something, right? Peter's always going to be that guy that's going to say or do something that, you know, nobody else will. And so he's like, well, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus answered him. What I'm doing, you don't realize now, but afterward, you will understand. So he, he does not understand. He's Lord, what are you going to do here? And again, on the heels of this entry, and Jesus is acting like a slave. Like, we just walked in here with you being like, yes, you're the Messiah. You're going to get rid of the Romans, all this cool stuff. And now you're acting like a slave, Jesus. So Jesus is intentionally, don't miss that. He's intentionally dishonoring himself to serve his disciples. So keep that in mind as he's about to say some of the things that he says. Because here's my question for you, if you're a follower of Jesus in here. Would you dis like intentionally dishonor yourself to serve somebody else, to serve another Christian? Would you do something that like, you feel like is uh, like below you, right? Would you do something in a way for another follower of Jesus? Just to start there, not to mention out in the world, but just to start with followers of Jesus. Would you let somebody else be right? Would you let them make you look maybe a little foolish? Would you realize and recognize this is more my emotion than just anything else? Like, this isn't really worth dying for. Because the other day, Brittany and I were my own personal confession. Again, um, this is either a good thing or a bad thing. I don't know. I'm always confessing my sin up here. But with Brittany, we were in a discussion, and uh, she pointed out to me ever so graciously that I was probably 100% wrong in what I was saying and the direction where I was headed with this little discussion that we were having. So then I had a choice. Pastor Kyle, who of course is always perfect and is always walking in lockstep with Jesus Christ, had a moment to think about how am I going to respond to my lovely wife who is clearly taking a stand and she's not going to move. So we had this little like moment 
where we're staring at each other and I'm wrestling with, okay, am I just going to go to bat and die over this? Or am I, and I literally thought this, like, like, like seriously, I swear I did this. I was like, or am I going to be like Jesus? I had to force myself to think that way in that moment. And I'm looking at Brittany and I'm like looking down and she's just looking at me all cool and calm and collected because she knows what's happening in Kyle's head and his heart at this time. She knows Jesus and I are doing a little talking. So she just keeps staring at me and she's got this like little smug look on her face, which makes me want to go down the wrong path even worse. And so then when I did that, like she could sense I was doing that. And it was like a moment where maybe she was like, he's just going to be a butthead about this. And so now my wife is not one to be stepped all over. So now she's thinking, oh, we're ready for a scrap. And I can kind of see it on her face a little bit, right? And so I'm like, yeah, we are ready for a scrap right now. And then I was like, no. And so I totally, I was just like, nope, this isn't like, this isn't. I'm just being dumb. I'm being prideful. And I just don't want to be wrong. So I said, okay. And in that moment, it wasn't like a, a moment of relief when we were both like, oh, cool, on the same page. We were both ready, me especially. I was ready for a scrap. So I didn't even know what to do in that moment, right? Because now all of a sudden the fight wasn't there. So I didn't know. I literally did not know what to do with myself. So I just finished my food and I walked away. And then like five minutes later, she's like, you know, casual conversation again. And I'm like trying to be all normal. Like, yeah, yeah, it's cool. You know, but I just like I was so ready for that fight emotionally. I didn't know what to do with myself. But I had to say, am I willing to just let her be right because she is right? Or am I just going to be a jerk and fight it because I don't want to be wrong? Like that for me was like, man, that was more hard. That was embarrassingly harder in those 30, 40 seconds than I I wanted it to be. But I realized that God still got work to do on me because I still just want to be right. And I don't care if I'm wrong. You know what I'm saying? How many of you guys do that? I'll be right whether I'm wrong or not, right? That's where I was. And so are you willing to do that just to be like, nope, I don't need to die over this. This is just my pride. Because here's the thing. Here's what I was thinking about this week. Jesus' kingdom is nothing like the kingdoms of this world, right? Jesus' kingdom is nothing like the kingdoms of the world. The world is going to offer you that anxiety, that pressure, right, that me focus. It's going to offer you, you need to be right because it is all about you. And Jesus is like, no, there's enough of that garbage in the world. I want you to be a light. I want you to be hope. I want you to bless your spouse, your kids, your boss, your employees. Like, I want you to bless your neighbors. I want you to be that person that is different from the kingdoms of this world because I've given you a different kingdom. That's what Jesus does. And that's what we get to live by. That's our calling. That's the luxury that we have in this life. So verse 12, he goes on. So when Jesus had washed their feet and put on his outer clothing, again, here's this, he reclined again and said to them, do you know what I've done for you? Uncomfortable confusing, right? Do you know what I've done for you? Basically, not, I'm not looking for a play-by-play. Do you realize the meaning of what I just did right now? I am your king, and look what I just did. Do you understand what just happened? And these guys are struggling with it, right? In verse 13, he goes on to clarify, you call me teacher and Lord, and, and you're speaking rightly. That's what I am. And this is interesting. In verse 14, he swaps these. He said, so if I, your Lord and teacher, he puts Lord first, If I've washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example. Hippodigma is the Greek word behind that example. So that's example, that's model, that's pattern that you should also do as I've just done for you. So he's not looking for us to just go around washing people's feet, right? We're not going to catch you at the door today and be like, well, before you leave, we just want to wash your feet for you because we just want to serve you, right? Like that's a thing that might be done. I've done that once I've washed somebody's feet and I've had my feet washed before just as an act of trying to teach servitude. And man, that is awkward. It's awkward to wash somebody's feet and a little gross, right? And then to have somebody wash my feet 
was really, really uncomfortable because it's like, all right, everybody take your shoes and socks off. And I'm like, oh my gosh. You know, because I'm thinking like, did I clip my toenails recently? Like, you know, I'm like, I don't want to do this. And I understand why he's doing it, but I don't want it. And so it's really, really awkward. It's really uncomfortable, especially in their culture when it's supposed to be a slave that does that. And so he's like, if I've done this for you, I want you to do it for others. So what is the point? I want you to serve other people. I want you to have a servant heart. Like that's the example that I'm giving to you, right? And so he goes on and he says in verse 16, truly I tell you, and truly I tell you is the English phrase. And behind that is the Greek word, amen, amen, or amin, amin. Whenever you see Jesus say that, pay attention to what comes next. So a servant is not greater than his master and a messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you're blessed if you do them. So feet washing, of course, is not the issue here. That's not what he's trying to get us to do. But here is. So I found this quote this week uh, from a theologian. Um, Can you put that one up on there? Gerard Borchardt. He says, including us, Jesus' disciples cannot treat humility as merely a nice idea that is unrelated to Christian life. We cannot treat humility and servanthood as merely a nice idea that has nothing to do with who we are as believers. Like This is the model Jesus is giving us. And then here's where I really want, this was convicting for me this week, so I wanted to throw it out here for you. Look at this. According to Jesus' words that we just heard, if you refuse, and hear this, like down into your soul, if you refuse as a follower of his to humble yourself and serve others, you're claiming that you are greater than Jesus. That's what Jesus just got done saying. Like, if you think you're better than being a servant, you are saying that you are better than your Messiah. You are better than your Savior. Like, that's cool for Jesus to do and other, like, Christians that are gifted that way. But me, I don't really do that, right? I don't don't really have a servant's heart. I I don't really back down from any fight. Like, you don't want to come to me with that because I'll prove you wrong no matter what. Like, always ready to be right, always ready to have your way. Like, that's what Jesus is saying. Like, he just states it really bluntly there for us. He wants us to be a part of that inverted pyramid. So he does this act, again, that sears into the minds of his uh, followers what servanthood looks like. Then what I wanted to share today, again, this, I, like we could do this for many months, but I wanted to give us a flyover of this last talk with his disciples. Because as I began to prep this, I wanted to see what kind of themes there were. And so my, my sermon prep process is sometimes very messy. I just, I, I put things all over and then I just, then I start to reorder them as I study and I think, and I just try to, how does this all fit? How does this all flow? And when I did that, I read through chapters 13 through 16, like three or four times. And every time I did, I would pull something out when I was trying to find these verses that were really speaking to this theme of servanthood. And what I noticed is it was like, there was like five major themes that Jesus keeps talking about. And to me, that seemed really significant. Like if Jesus in this last talk with his guys, the last thing that he gets to say with them, if he's going to keep repeating some of these ideas, man, that must be really important. Like Jesus must really want his followers to understand these principles. And so some of the principles that I noticed, love right away. Like that's as soon as he washes their feet, this is the very first thing he talks about. Then he talks about persecution. Then he talks about peace in light of persecution over and over and over again in different ways. He talks a lot about peace, actually. Then the gift of the Holy Spirit spends a ton of time talking about. And then he talks about obeying his words. So because these themes are in there, I just wanted to share, again, enough to just say, here's a couple verses in each of these themes to just show us how he keeps hitting on these ideas so that when you read this gospel yourself, I would love for you today to read 13, 14, 15, and 16 and just notice these themes that keep coming up. 
and how Jesus just keeps saying, hey, 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 pay attention. This is really, really important. And so the first one, love, this is the new commandment. And I want to highlight the fact that this is a commandment because in this act of love, it's not something that he wants us to do. So uh, it desires, right? It's not just a suggestion, I mean. So he gives us a new command. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. And he goes on. What's the purpose? By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So this room right here, people watching, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, everything we do should be so different, again, that it points people to Jesus Christ. Because the way that we love one another, the way that we are sacrificial toward one another, stop looking like the world. Like Paul said, live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. Live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Right? And he's going to go on. A couple chapters later, Jesus repeats this, and he kind of drills back down into it. He says, this is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down his life for his friends. This is what I command you. Love one another. You know, these are commands coming from, again, and this affects, how do you see Jesus? Do you see Jesus as just your savior? Somebody that got you out of hell? Do you see him as a good guy, as a good teacher? Or if you're a follower of Jesus, do you see him as actually your Lord and Savior? Do you see him as your God, the one that can give you commands that, okay, if I follow him, I have to follow him. Like, this is what my life looks like. Do you see that? But what would be the response to these things? And this is the interesting, uh, I guess, juxtaposition of these two things, is that you have Jesus saying, go and love the world, be a light, give hope. And what's going to be the world's response to that is persecution. Interesting that he would make this connection. And he said, you're going to go out and do these things, but just understand. And why is that going to come? So here's the ruler of the universe, the star speaker. And he says this next verse here in 14. And he says, look, the ruler of the world is coming. So the king of the universe, creator God, Jesus, he says there's persecution coming because the ruler of the world is coming. So sometimes we write our problems off to other people, right? They're the enemy, right? That other political party is the enemy. That group of people is the enemy, right? And we start doing that. And Jesus is like, no, just understand that spiritual battle is a real thing. And if sometimes you back away, and that's what humility will do sometimes, you back away, you're quiet, and you're like, okay, I know there's like some spiritual stuff going on here. And Brittany and I have had that. When, we, when there's the option on the table to have those passionate disagreements, we have to remember that we can still have those passionate disagreements, but I got to remember she's not the enemy. I got to realize that Satan would love nothing more than to destroy Brittany and I. Because if he can destroy Brittany and I, or if he can destroy me personally, what then does that do to my family? What then does that do to this church? Right? This is a super heavy weight that I take seriously. And I got guys in my life that will hold me accountable because of that. Because I know what will happen if I let Satan have room in my life. And I want you to think that same way in your life. Because there's people dependent on you as well. Right? So just something to think about as we walk through this world together. And then he says, remember the word I spoke to you. And, and just a chapter later, a servant is not greater than his master. So Jesus says, if they persecuted him, they're also going to persecute us. So we shouldn't be offended by persecution. We shouldn't be surprised by it. We should be ready so we can respond appropriately with love, right? Fight hate with love. It's like, that's a weird dynamic, but it changed the world. Historically speaking, real life stuff, right? So in the midst of that though, that's where his next thing comes from. He's going to give us peace in the midst of that. Remember, he's preparing his guys to go out and live in a really hostile world. 
So in light of this persecution, Jesus says in 14, look, don't let your heart be troubled. It is going to get bad. It is going to get heavy. But believe in God and believe also in me. A few verses later, in in verse 6, he would say this. I, is his I am statement, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Drawing a line in the sand. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will know the Father. And from now on, you do know him. Why? Because you've seen him. It's a bold statement, Jesus says, but coming to him, coming through him, there's a confidence, there's a peace that comes with that because you know you believe to the eternal God, the eternal creator. Like Jesus is making some pretty bold statements here about himself. And then, again, he talked a lot about peace. So just several verses later, verse 27, what we read this morning, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, and I don't give it to you as the world gives. Don't let your heart be troubled or fearful. Right? There's this, there's this peace that we can't get from the world. Because the, the thing that I, I think I've discovered just in my own life, and I don't know about you, watching other people, hearing stories. Again, I love stories. I love talking to people about their stories. Um, is that there's a lot of pressure out there to make everything about us. A lot about what we want about making sure our house looks the right way or our car looks the right way or, or like our lifestyles, our kids look the right way, our marriage looks the right way. We have the right vacations, right? That we have like the right, that people like our stuff, the content we put online. We take surveys constantly on social media to find out who we are. And the world is telling us it's all about me. It's all about my identity. It's all about my problems, my desires, my issues, my family, my friends. And it's all, all, all about me. And here's the thing I've discovered. And I want you to hear this. I see it in scripture and it's just what I've seen in my own life and in the lives of others. If we put ourselves at the center of the universe, that is a crushing weight that we were not meant to carry. If you put yourself at the center of the universe, you are going to get crushed by it. And people are feeling lonely. People are feeling isolated. People are feeling purposeless because we live in a culture that says you are the center of the universe. And you were not made to carry that kind of weight. God is the only one that can carry that kind of weight. Because think about how offended we get. Think about how much of an issue. Think about how frail we are becoming. There was a book written, The, uh, the Coddling of the American Mind. And it was written by an atheist who leans left politically. So it's not just like, oh, more religious right stuff. No, this guy like doesn't get along with a lot of his peers because of this book. But he did studies. Started in Ivy League colleges. The best of the best, right? The cream of the crop as far as students go. And he realized that they were completely and totally fragile. Like they had no idea how to do basic tasks. They had no idea how to handle really difficult life situations. And he was like, this is like the best that America has to offer. How are these kids not able to cope with like basic things? And what he began to understand and what his research search and the data pointed him to was that when we are raised in a culture as we are today and, and a culture that says it's all about you and all about your happiness, everything becomes an assault on your identity everything. You can't let anything roll off your back because if anybody disagrees in any way, shape, or form with your happiness and with who you are and your identity as you've chosen it to be and your place in the center of the universe, if anybody disagrees with any form of that, it's not just disagreeing with that stuff. It is disagreeing with who you are as a human being. And he was like, and that's why we are getting crushed under the weight of all this stuff that we are never meant to handle. And it's interesting that atheists have come to that point. Social scientists have come to that point. And all along, Jesus is like, yeah, you're not the center of the universe you got to make it about other people, right? There's a peace that comes with realizing it's not about us. 
Not that it can't be about us every now and then, but it's not always about us. So there's just these principles that right here and now, and I'm just, I'm saying this stuff because I'm trying to make it concrete for us. Like this stuff that Jesus is talking about is bearing out in the culture all around us, right? And so I'm just trying to, again, connect what Jesus is saying to our lives. And then, so how are we going to get that peace? So the last couple of things here, the gift of the Holy Spirit. So um, skipping ahead to John 16, 7 here, it says, it's for your benefit that I go away because if I don't go away, the counselor will not come to you. If I go, I will send him to you. I will. I will be with you is what Jesus is saying. And then this last one, obeying his words. So I, may, I put this in there because, man, I really felt like Jesus was drilling down into this. It's not all about love. It's all about peace. Again, it's not all about us because here's what Jesus says in chapter 14, verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commands. You are going to do that if you are my follower. And he hits on this idea in several different ways throughout this talk with his guys. It's not all about us. He's like, I need you to understand. I washed your feet and did that act of a slave because I want you to follow my pattern. I want you to live a life that is focused more on other people than it is on yourself. And it's like, that's tough, right? I don't want to be run over all the time. I already feel like I'm stretched thin helping everybody else out. And it's like, then there's balance. That's where you talk to God and you talk to another believer and say, man, I feel like I'm being strung out. I'm doing everything for everybody. Like, well, maybe you're carrying weights that you shouldn't, right? Maybe, you, maybe you're in a position where you think that you are the only person that can help all those people. Pastors burn out all the time because of that, because they need to be savior for everybody, right? Rather than building the pyramid and saying, no, we need to help each other, right? So I'm just susceptible to those kinds of things. But Jesus is saying there's a different way. There's a different kingdom. So here's what I just want to close with, like some, some thoughts here about what he's saying. Like, as a Christian, do you model that level of obedience to Jesus? Like, do you, are you convinced of this statement right here? Like, okay, I'm a follower of Jesus, so I'm going to read scripture, and I'm going to get to know what Jesus says, because I am a Christian. I am a follower of Jesus. I am somebody that other people can look at and say, that's who Jesus is. Like, do you take that seriously? Because Jesus does. And do you see that in your marriage? Do you see that blessing? Like, well, I'm not going to do that for my husband or my wife because, you know, she's just ungrateful and she's just, she's just, and it's like, I know, maybe, maybe. But will you, like Jesus, do it anyway? Because Jesus could have said, man, these, oh, these people, they're just going to stone me or they're going to try to kill me or they're going to try to crucify me or they're going to, or I know 2,000 years from now, people are going to think I'm a joke. What if he was just like, I'm not going down there? Whoops, right? If we love Jesus, we'll follow what he says. Because there's not another option in the way that we live our life. And so for those maybe that are watching or are listening or are here that are not followers of Jesus, what do you do about that? Like, what do you do about the message of him saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to the Father except through me? Well, Scripture says it's by believing in your heart. It's by confessing in your mouth. So what he says is if you confess that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Romans 10. Romans 3 said... If you want to be made right with God, that's done by believing that Jesus sacrificed his life and shed his blood. And you accept that gift. That's why we light candles. That's why we do baptisms. Because people have said, yeah, I am a sinner and I need a savior. And Jesus, that's what he came for. So I accept what Jesus did. That's how you cross that line from being a non-believer to being a believer, right? That's what it is to be a Christian. It's an act of humility, really, to say, I know I can't do it on my own. So if you've never done that, I want you to come up and talk to me because, man, we'll take care of that like today. But essentially, just so you know, it's you saying, I know I'm a sinner and I need a savior. And that's what Jesus did. 
You came to the cross. His death, burial, and resurrection paid for my sin. So I want to accept that gift. And that's life change. And then he becomes not just your Savior, but your Lord. And that's what we get to celebrate through baptisms. So if you've not done that, please come talk to me. Send us a message. Let us know. We want to help people start and grow a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what we're about. Amen? All right. Let me close in prayer. So, Lord, I, I just pray that this would land in our lives somewhere. I just pray that it's not information, but it's, it's information that changes our lives, Lord. Uh, help us to live with humility, uh, live with a, with a focus not just on ourselves, because that's what your word says. Don't just focus on yourselves, but take an interest in others as well. Help us to be aware of just those little places where we can be like you. Help us to find balance, not to just run ourselves ragged. Um, but Lord, help us just to be faithful to your commands if we know you. And I pray, Lord, anybody that doesn't know you here, Jesus, would you point us, would you, would you point their hearts? Would you help them to just know who you are and accept you as Savior and know that, Lord, they're, they're yours forever. And that is life change, that's eternity change. And I pray that in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless you all. I love you. Have a great week. Once again, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's message, we'd love for you to subscribe to the podcast so you get notified of new content every week. Remember, we want to help you worship, connect, and serve. So if you live in the central Massachusetts area, we would love for you to engage with us on Sundays. For more information, service times, and details about our children's and youth ministries, visit us at quaybogchurch.org. Have a blessed week.